whether it's security, it's deploying a new CRM, a new ERP system, it doesn't have to be this long, drawn out, convoluted process where they try to make everything absolutely perfect before rolling it out. Most viable product, right? And getting it to a point where we deploy it quick, we make some mistakes, we learn, we change, we learn, we change, and we're agile about how we do this. And it has been one of the silver linings, the speed of which change is now happening inside of organizations is phenomenal to see. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Steve Singer, Senior Regional VP and Country Manager from Zscaler. And today we're discussing Zscaler's 2022 VPN report. So Steve, thanks so much for joining. It's wonderful to have you here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So Steve, I want to start with So I've read the report and the whole sort of purpose of me bringing you on the show today is to really give a synopsis about the report and to get some of the key insights. So one of the insights that were derived from the report is 44% of cybersecurity professionals have witnessed an increase in exploits targeting their, their businesses' VPNs in the last year. So talk me through this. What do you know? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll just throw one other stat at you based on that report. So 44% have witnessed an increase in exploits. There were another 20% that weren't sure whether there had been an increase or or no increase in exploits, meaning they don't have visibility to it, which is also a scary number. So before we dive into the increasing number of VPN exploits, I would like to talk about why VPNs are a cause of concern for organizations. And so if you go back 30 years, organizations have been building and optimizing complex, wide area, hub-and-spoke networks they're connecting users and branch users and branches to the data center over a private network. To then access an application, users had to be on this trusted network. The hub and spoke networks were secured with a stack of appliances. And this is where VPNs come in, such as VPNs and firewalls, using an architecture known as castle and moat security. So this approach was wonderful and it served them really well while businesses had their applications residing in the data centers and in their headquarters. That's not the case today. Today, most organizations are doubling down on digital transformation, meaning they're embracing the cloud, they're using cloud applications, they're mobile, they're looking at artificial intelligence, internet of things, and so on, all with the focus of making the business more agile and competitive. And because of this, and also due to COVID, users aren't just sitting in the office anymore. They're everywhere. They're at home, they're in coffee shops, they're on planes, they're in different countries. And data isn't in the data center. And so for fast and productive collaboration, most people want direct access to applications and data from anywhere at any time. It no longer makes sense to route traffic back to the data center to securely reach applications that are sitting in the cloud. And so when we think about the traditional hub and spoke networks, they put everything on the network, the users, the applications and devices all onto one flat plane. And since the network and applications are intertwined, application access requires users, devices, workloads to be connected to the corporate network. And once you're on the corporate network, you have access to a lot more applications and data within the business. So when we go now to a remote workforce, this means organizations are extending their network with a VPN where each VPN and client 
is an allocated routable IP address, which means your network just went from maybe one headquarter and five branch offices to 20,000 employees working everywhere around the world or the country or, or the state where they are and having VPNs on every device with a routable IP address that expands the attack surface that bad actors, cyber criminals can attack. And when we look at how bad actors are attacking companies, it's really four simple steps. First, they want to find you and they find you by looking for your attack surface, such as VPNs, firewalls. And the more you have, the bigger attack surface you have. Once they find you, they then want to compromise you. So they want to use stolen credentials. They want to try to compromise users all to get through the VPN and be on your network. Because the third step is they want to move laterally. Once they're on your network, now they want to find the high value targets in your business, your, your crown jewel, so to speak. And then the last step is steal your data, hold it for ransomware, use double extortion. And so with the history of, of VPNs and hub and spoke networks coming from a very good place into how businesses used to be run with now everything going to the cloud, users going everywhere, and now VPNs extending to every employee, the attack surface is exponentially growing, giving huge concern for executives, cyber professionals, network professionals. And this is a huge reason we're seeing a, that increase of 44% worried about these VPN exploits. Yeah, thanks for sharing that and more fidelity, Steve. I think the other thing is as well, like working in you know corporate historically, it's just this slowness of it as well. It's like, oh, you got to connect to the VPN and oh, everything's super slow now. And it just is, from a productivity point of view, it's just not really worth it. So I hear your point. You mentioned before, though, that, you know, executives are concerned. What do you think they're concerned about, though, specifically? Anything that you can sort of share? Yeah, well, it's a great question. But before before I answer that, just the way you described a VPN, can I assume you've, you've used a VPN in the past, Carissa? Oh, many. Big company, big financial banks that we would know. And it was so frustrating and annoying. Um, and then you're just not productive. Because I mean, this was way before the work from home model was really employed. Yep. And you're like, oh, I'll just go home and do it. And it was like 30 minutes to do something super basic. And you push through because it's not normal, right? You would work from home maybe one day a week or even one day a month, you know, a couple of years ago. Now that people are working from home, three days a week, five days a week, sometimes permanently, people and employees won't stand for waiting 30 minutes to connect to a VPN, you know, or even five minutes to connect to a VPN. No. And so- Not in this day and age. Th there's two problems that that drives. One is poor user experience, which drives people to leave companies. And it's already a highly competitive market with a lack of resources in the space. And two, you get so sick and tired of waiting for the VPN to connect or that it keeps dropping out is you save data on your direct laptop and applications on your direct laptop and it exposes and gives less security and a lower security posture for organizations and the, and the property and data of that company. So it's, it's twofold when organizations are using VPNs. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I always like to look at it, yes, because I'm a, you know, by trade, a security practitioner historically, but also I'm looking at it from the user perspective, like me as a consumer, what do I get frustrated about? And then like you said, slows everything down, it drops out, takes ages to connect. But then what, what does that then start creating? Shadow OT. We're going to start finding things you know, around it because it takes ages. It's too long. I'm not getting my work done. Exactly. Exactly. And 
the, the more VPNs that organizations deploy, as I mentioned before, it, it increases the attack surface, which is a little beacon that says, hey, here I am, here I am, where bad actors can try to break into that weak spot of the organization's security infrastructure. And, and so it, it, it is a huge concern for many, many executives, many security professionals, and it's funny, I was, on a, I was on a call today. I speak to countless CIOs and CISOs and, and heads of security. And one of the conversations was, you know, I was in a board meeting yesterday and instead of dialing in for 15 minutes to share my piece, this was a, a chief information security officer. He said, I'm now on the board meetings for an hour and a half. I now have a bigger voice at the table as to what our organization is doing and how we're trying to protect our business. It is that big of a topic across Australia and, and globally that all of these CISOs and, and executives have a much bigger say that this is a business problem. It's not just an IT problem where we're throwing technology and features and functions, but it is a business problem as to how can we keep our employees happy, keep them in the company, and also just as importantly, how can we protect our organization? How can we not wind up on the front page of the news or, or on TV? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that unfortunately with everything that's happened recently in the media, it's starting to get people to ask questions, have those longer board meetings, get a bigger voice at the table, actually listen to the, the sizer or whoever it is that's uh, running that department. So I think there's, there should be some change, but I think if I sort of take a step back with some of the executives that I speak to, I still think that they just get overwhelmed by like security. So would you say that, okay, you, you go up to an executive and you're like, all right, like you need to stop using VPNs. Don't you think that's going to like stress them out? It could, but I would say... Most people are probably already stressed based on how can they protect their, their environment. So adding to the stress. Right? It, it, yeah, they're double, they're double stressed. So yeah, yeah. So if you just go to someone and say, your, your company's not secure. Hey, stop using VPNs. You're, you're, you're making your company much less safe. Instead of that, it's talking about how can we help protect these organizations? And for my team here in Australia, and, and we've grown from 40 people in the past two years to over 130, you know, what we're proud of is, is helping organizations, helping protect them. We protect well over a million people in Australia and it's teachers, students, healthcare professionals, government officials, private, public. And so it's, it's not just going and saying, hey, this isn't good. It's, hey, have you thought about a zero trust network access? Hey, have you thought about secure service edge? Both of these, you know, terms used very heavily by Gartner and their, their approaches and their frameworks for helping organizations move away from hub and spoke networks, move away from VPN, move away from castle and moat security and help them in this day and age as organizations are doing application transformations, moving to the cloud, network transformations, moving away from hub and spoke, security transformations, bringing security closer to the user and the device versus being on a network. And so it's those conversations where we empower and help people to improve what they're doing, you know, takes away that stress and then coming in to, to implement, implement that. And so, you know, one of the things I'm not sure about your, your listeners or not, if they know about a secure service edge, it's SSE is what we call it. And it was coined by Gartner in, in 2021. And what this is, is it's a, a combination of a secure web gateway, which is secure internet access. It's a cloud access security broker, CASB, which provide secure SaaS and cloud app access, and then zero trust network access, which is for secure access to your private applications. It's a new 
fundamental framework that helps organizations live in the cloud, secure edge computing, and do this close to the user, wherever they may be. So you mentioned before, Steve, you're, you're speaking to lots of executives, CISOs, heads of security. What, what's their main sort of concern when they're talking to you? It's a wide, it's a wide gamut, depending who you're speaking to and when you're speaking to them. So some of it is, how do I set my business up for growth? And when, we, when we're growing and we're doing mergers and acquisitions, how can we bring together two different companies safely and securely and quickly? It's about how do we, how do we protect our organization? How do we stop bad actors and malicious attacks getting into our company? It can be, how do we protect from the inside out? How do we protect our data and our private data leaving the organization? It can be our user experience right now. I'm getting phone calls every single day with complaints of how hard it is to get access to applications I need to do my job or the VPN keeps going down. And so depending on who you're speaking to in which department, there's a whole range of, of challenges that we're seeing all relate back, funnily enough, to zero trust network access, which once again, this isn't, isn't a product. It's a framework and, and policies and how you go about building your infrastructure and your transformation within your business. But it comes back to cybersecurity, data protection, enabling work from anywhere and doing it all with a better user experience. So another insight uh, from the report, now you've sort of already touched on this uh, quite significantly, Steve, already as to why the increase in exploits targeting companies' VPNs since adopting remote work as we sort of just talked through. But what do you sort of, what do you think we can expect though, like moving forward? Are we going to see a massive shift to people just like dumping VPNs? Is it going to be like a slow sort of migration? Like what are we going to start seeing if you had to sort of hypothesize as we move into sort of, you know, this new territory of how we're working? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. If I, if I knew the answers of what happened in the future, I would, I would be gambling right now, <laughs> making a lot of money. But based on some hypothesis and, and some of the stats, you and me both. <laughs> based on some of the stats I'm seeing, you know, the vast majority of companies are considering adopting alternatives to VPN. And when we see organizations go through a change, whether it's business related, it's technical related, it's usually done in phases. It's not a big bang approach where we rip out everything across, you know, all of our entities and all of our branches. We throw in something new and off we go. It's a, it's a planned phased approach. And so when companies think about looking at VPN alternatives and they think about what else can we do, you know, one of them we talked about user experience. So with VPN, traffic is backhauled to the data center, making it painfully slow for users. And I like the example, if you're flying on a plane and you're going from Sydney to Melbourne, you want to go direct Sydney to Melbourne. You don't want to go Sydney to Brisbane to Melbourne, which is effectively what you're doing if you're trying to reach a cloud application and you're going through a VPN, you're going back to your, your data center, then back to the cloud versus just going on your keyboard and going to the cloud. And so the user experience feels that because there's a lot of latency. With a zero trust network approach, it's cloud delivered services are designed for high availability and to go direct to the internet or direct to your applications, or direct to the data that you need. The other piece that people think about when they think about what are we going to do with a, a VPN alternative is they look at the security side. So providing application access with a VPN requires placing users on the network. 
which also exposes the IP address. So one, you're increasing the attack surface and then you're allowing people to move laterally if they get on your network. With a zero trust network access, private apps no longer require any network access. All the services initiated with inside out connections, which means you can't attack what you can't see. So instead of having an IP routable address, it's invisible to the internet. And I like to use the example of, of a switchboard with a, with a phone, right? If I put my phone number out there in a phone book, you know, a long time ago when I grew up, we had phone books, you, you put your phone number in the phone book, you know, your friends can call you, but so can anyone else. Anyone can find you and, and call your phone number versus me having a switchboard in between someone calling me and them picking up the phone. And so if my friend Kevin, you know, calls the switchboard, they say, yep, Kevin, you're authorized. You're using an authorized device. You can get through to Steve. Whereas someone who's, you know, spam, spamming me, it just gets disconnected. They don't know where I am. They never get to connect with me. And it removes that attack surface, which is a huge focus for a lot of organizations. How can we reduce this attack surface of bad actors trying to find us? And then the last one, complexity. So with VPN and not just VPNs, but firewalls and, and the entire stack, it's an expensive security stack that you then need to replicate across each data center you have, your headquarters, your branches, you put in the cloud because you have people all over the world versus a zero trust network architecture approach. This serves as an alternative to an inbound VPN gateway stack. It's cloud delivered and its deployment is simple, scalable, and eliminating people to have to, to buy all of this infrastructure, maintain the infrastructure, update the infrastructure. It's all done for you on a cloud-based platform on a multi-tenant architecture. I like your analogies. I think that's great. I think that's what people can start to, they can resonate with that. So I appreciate that. So, okay. So talking, so pressing a little bit more about the, the alternatives to VPNs. Now in the report, it did say 65% of companies are considering adopting VPN alternatives. What I want to know first is what are the other 35% thinking? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And, you know, I think d depending on who was spoken to in that report, and it was 351 cyber professionals, but it would, it would be great to see the size of organizations, how those responses changed. Because one of the myths we hear in the marketplace around zero trust network access is this is only for large organizations. This is expensive. It's hard to implement. I don't know where to start. But in reality, small businesses need it just as much as large businesses. There is no, there is no cyber attacker who says, I'm only going after big companies, no medium or small companies. 43% of all cyber attacks two years ago were against small businesses. 61% of small and medium enterprises have experienced a cyber attack in the last year. And even scarier than that, if you're a small business and you've had a cyber attack, 60% of them fold their business within six months. They just don't have the resources to come back and the sufficient resource to come back from a cyber attack. And so, although it sounds scary, it's something different, it's a new approach to implement in a business, I would say it's even more important for small businesses to do that because once they get hit, it's very hard for them to rebound from it. And so one of my hypotheses or assumptions is, you know, the 35% who may not be thinking about a, an, an alternative to VPNs could be smaller businesses with limited resources who are thinking, this is too big and scary for me. 
So appreciate, and I appreciate you sharing that. And I know that you'd obviously, you're not Nostradamus, so you're not going to have every answer, but it's just more so trying to get into the, the thinking of these people because 65% is quite high, right? So yeah, I'm always curious to see what's on the other side of that. Would you also say as well, Steve, if we focus on that 35 for a moment, that they maybe not understand the value of, you know, looking at VPN alternatives. Maybe they don't understand that. Maybe they don't understand, you know, a zero trust model. I think, again, if I, if I zoom out out of a security practitioner lens, mm-hmm. I still think a lot of people get confused by the terminology. They don't understand it. And then probably, what, what do we do when we don't understand something? You usually just don't do it. So do you think maybe that, that 35% could be, there's all these terms I'm not really sure about, and as a result, I'm probably still going to do nothing? I, I absolutely think that's part of it. I would say part of it is fear of change. A lot of people don't like to change, but, but to your point, I think it's, they also don't understand it. And part of that challenge is everyone's throwing around the terms zero trust, right? Almost every security company we see in the market is, oh, is saying zero trust, right? It's the new buzzword that, you know, people hate to hear because it's just overused and it means something different to, to every single organization that says it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it is a problem. And what I would recommend for organizations listening and, and unsure is do some research on it. and. You know, I would love to say, look at Zscaler and we'll tell you what it is, but that's going to be a biased view. I do think we do it well, but look at Gartner, right? Look at, at the research Gartner has done. Look at other independent analysts and, and what they're terming zero trust. The one thing I would say is if companies are saying zero trust and that means VPN or firewall or networks, it's not a true framework of how Gartner and different analysts look at zero trust. And so I would say, do the research. Talk to people who have, who have done it before. Feel free to, to come and talk to Zscaler and we'll, we'll take you through it. We, we feel and believe very heavily in this and have built our entire company around it. You are right. There's a lot of you know, people floating around the market with the old zero trust. And you are right. People's eyes do glaze over. So just maybe for the listeners, what is the term that Gartner coins for zero trust? Like what's their interpretation of it? Just so that we're all on the same sort of footing here. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I don't have their actual terminology in front of me, but you know, what I would say, and in my best recollection of it is zero trust, it's not a product. You don't buy a technology and all of a sudden you have a zero trust network architecture. It's a framework for securing organizations in the cloud and mobile world that believes no user or application should be trusted by default. So following key zero trust principles, it's least privileged access. Trust is established based on context, meaning who is the user, the identity, where are they? Are they using an approved device? Are they asking for a service that makes sense for them to use? And then all of these policies are checked at each step. So just because you've accessed, let's say salesforce.com, doesn't mean you can now access SAP or any other application. Every time you make a request or a connection, there is no inherent trust. We go through least privilege access. We establish who the person is. We base it on context, the device they're using, where they're based, who that person is, what application they're at, they're trying to access, what data and what information they're trying to access. And then that's repeated at every step. And so scalability and being able to do this quick is very important to run a, a proper zero trust network access, network architecture and be able to do it as close to the user as possible, which is part of a secure service edge, having 
a global footprint and data centers around the world that allows you to do this quickly while protecting the users. Okay, so now let's focus on that 65% now for a moment. Now, I may probably already know the answer to this, but what do you think some of the considerations are for being in that 65% around the considering the adoption to VPNs? Is it because they know that the, you know, the attack surface changed, um, there are um, you know, exploits targeting VPNs? Is it all of the above? Like, you know, can you sort of walk me through maybe the impetus for that 65%? All of the above. I'll give you an example. When COVID hit and organizations went from, you know, out of, out of 35,000 people, they had 30,000 people working in the office, you know, overnight, they had now have 35,000 people working from home and their VPNs, their remote access solutions literally stopped working. They didn't have enough. They got overloaded and businesses were worried around how are we going to access our applications, our systems and our data to actually keep our doors open to to handle transactions if you're a bank, to handling payroll, to, to have people getting paid for government and organizations, for healthcare, for teaching and classes and students. You know, a lot of these things just wouldn't scale unless you went out and bought all the hardware, all the infrastructure and set it up at all these different locations. And so, you know, part of it is it's increasing the attack surface. It's a pain in the butt for users and, and any individual who's trying to use a VPN. It's backhauling traffic, increasing latency. It's the unscalability of it. It's the maintenance of managing all your infrastructure, the manual updates, and trying to do this as an organization when your key focus as a business most likely isn't cybersecurity. It's creating widgets or selling services or running governments or teaching children and so all of those combined, there's a lot of people and a lot of executives who have groups and speak about these challenges together in these groups. And it just snowballs and escalates as to how worried they are about VPNs and the attack surface and firewalls and so on. So if COVID didn't hit, would you say that the adoption towards VPN alternatives would still be there? I guess the answer is like, no. <laughs> and, I, and I guess COVID has expedited this. But I guess maybe a silver lining could be we've actually sort of evolved and we force people to evolve because you are right. People don't like change. They like to do things they've always done. You know, it's easier for them. It's not so overwhelming. But now it's sort of forced people to be like, okay, well, COVID's hit. We've got, like you said, thousands of employees working from wherever. We've got to do something different. Um, but what if it didn't hit though? Do you think that the adoption would be would be there or to be obviously a lot slower? Like, like talk me through that. Like, has COVID been that silver lining for technology adoption? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a really good question. I think once again, I think you nailed it. You're, you're on top of a lot of the trends. So, you know, I, I hate to say a silver lining around COVID because it disrupted a lot of people's lives and, and ended a lot of people's lives. And it was, you know, it's horrible and still is. But as you said, it's silver lining is it's sped up the process that, organizations look when they deploy IT projects and they look at deploying change within their businesses and not just the speed at which they do it, the belief in the people in those organizations. And we've had countless clients where we were working on projects that were deploying 20,000 people using Zscaler and, and building a zero trust network architecture and allowing them to work from anywhere and eliminate the attack surface. And these projects were planned over six to eight months, not because that's how long it necessarily took, 
but the belief in how things have always been done in the past. COVID hit and we're deploying organizations, 20, 30,000 people in two weeks time. And I think that the benefit there is these organizations and project managers and IT professionals now, now have the belief that they can roll out change, right? Whether it's security, it's deploying a new CRM, it's a new ERP system. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn out, convoluted process where they try to make everything absolutely perfect before rolling it out. You know, there's a, a term of um, most viable product, right? And, and getting it to a point where we deploy it quick, we make some mistakes, we learn, we change, we learn, we change, and we're agile about how we do this. And it has been one of the silver linings, the, the speed of which change is now happening inside of organizations is phenomenal to see. Yeah. And of course, you know, COVID was an awful time. It's just, yeah, definitely focus on the technology side of it. But the other, the other sort of way I look at it as well, which I've now seen people, of course, their back was against the wall. We've just got to get, I don't know, for example, Zoom implemented. But then what I've started to see over over time is people going, oh, well, actually, we didn't do any sort of real sort of deep dive vendor analysis or we didn't do any real sort of checks and balances. Now we need to go through and assess whether, A, this was the right solution for us, whether it's from a, you know, a technical perspective, but then also from a security perspective. So do you think that because people were forced to move, there's been this knee-jerk reaction, which maybe forced them into situations that they didn't think through because they had no time? And I get it. Do you think there's a little bit of that there? And now people are sort of like, you know, the dust has settled a little bit more now and people are sort of going through things a little bit more meticulously to be like, actually, maybe we didn't make the right decision. Now, I'm not talking specifically about zero trust. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking more generally here. Do you think there's that going on in the market now? Yeah, and and and, and I think it was almost mandated. And, you know, you, you can't really hold people to blame for that. They had to make split-second decisions and and keep their businesses running and their people feeling like they're part of a team and a sense of camaraderie. And they had to do this, you know, in a matter of days and weeks. And so I definitely think people made knee-jerk reactions and, and decisions, you know, with the best of the information they had available at the time, with the best intent of helping their organizations. And we're seeing a lot of people come back to start have conversations, whether it's, whether it's around web conferencing, whether it's around security, whether it's around VPNs, whether it's around different technology, people had to make really quick decisions to keep the lights on and keep the businesses going. And now that it's settled down a little bit, they are reevaluating. And there's more and more people reevaluating, one, because of the decisions they made, you know, two, three years ago, but also just what they're seeing in the market, what they're seeing their counterparts doing, what they're seeing the competition doing, what they're seeing happen in different regions. And so, you know, for, for organizations that tend to thrive and, and grow, whether a good economy, a bad economy, they're large or small, are the ones that continually look to change and get better, right? And so decisions you make two years ago, the speed at which there's change in, in this market in this day and age, they need to reevaluate. They need to look at decisions they made and, and were they right? Not were they right then, are they right now? And do we need to change them now for where we want to be in the next two years? And so we're definitely seeing that and more from, you know, companies that are looking to continue to scale and grow. So the other insight as well that I took away from the report is that 68% of companies have indicated that they are accelerating their zero trust projects, which is probably for all the reasons that you and I have spoken about today, which is up from the previous year, which was 59%. Again, I probably know the answer to why that's the case. So talk me through though, like, what is specifically from your point of view, Steve, like, 
this acceleration? Is it is it just more so again talking around you know? And I hate to sort of go over it again, but I'm ju- I'm just trying to get a very clear picture here. Mm-hmm. Is it the attack surface? Is it again the the frustration from the you know the user perspective? Is that what's you know? Because if you come back on here another year, is it going to be like you know ninety nine percent of people have accelerated their their alternative to um, VPNs? Like, is it going to get faster? Like, you know, what what are we sort of dealing with here? Yeah, I I, I actually think it will grow and get faster. And it's you know any any technology that's created thirty years ago and was used 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you know, is great at a point in time and is great for what it was meant to do when people, data, solutions were in headquarters or branch offices where people were located. But as the way we work, as the way the cloud continues to accelerate with AWS and Azure and Google and and every company that I speak to has, you know, a focus on moving more applications to the cloud, it, it changes the way in which technology works that was built 30 years ago, right? It's, it's not built to handle that type of scale and this type of movement to cloud and mobility. And so as organizations, whether it's coming up for renewals on their, their current technology, whether it's speaking with their colleagues around what they're doing to better their user experience, to stop lateral movement, to reduce their attack surface and doing all of this while improving their security posture, along with seeing, you know, some of the breaches that, that make the headlines, organizations are looking at better ways of protecting their business, better ways of protecting their, their crown jewels. And right now, the, you know, the, the premier way to do that is looking at a zero trust network architecture in order to, you know, not just protect, but also provide a great experience for people. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. Is there anything else that you, you know, people that are interested, they want to have a deeper dive, like, what should they be looking for specifically? And like, as you said, each company, they have their own definitions of zero trust. So, you know, it's just more so, again, it is that term that is being floated around the market. People still are not sure. They, there is different interpretations of what each organization does, but a little bit differently. Mm. But it is that sort of buzzword at the moment. But I think people are interested. People are asking questions. And yeah, so like, should people be starting with Gartner? And then, you know, what else should people be looking for? you know, for when they're doing their research around zero trust? There's a lot of spots, right? And, and the internet is a wonderful thing, but Gartner's a, a great place to go. The ACSC, Australian Cybersecurity Center, talking to your network, you know, talking to a network of people who are doing these exact things in the market. And it's, it's being aware of just the basics of zero trust, right? It means do not trust. Do not trust automatically. You need to verify, you need to validate, you have policies based on who can do what and when, and you have conditions around that. And so doing your research with, you know, industry experts, the the Gartners, the Australian Cybersecurity Center, Forrester, talking to your network, reach out to organizations you trust and, and they'll take you through it. You know, for us, we'll spend hours and hours educating, helping people do risk assessments. We have, we've hired over 40 different CIOs and CISOs from different organizations around the world who have done these types of projects. And we'll do this with the intent of educating without charging a dollar or, or taking anything, right? It's, it's to help spread the word of how we can protect our communities, our businesses, our schools, our governments, the organizations that, that we all work for. 
and we're very passionate about it. So there's lots of places to go and get that information. I guess sort of my last question would be, you mentioned it before, like, you know, what we did 30 years ago, we can't keep doing now, right? It's absolutely true. But I guess, you know, there's still companies out there that have like, you know, legacy systems and technical debt. So, you know, how do they sort of start to to think about, you know, a zero trust approach? Because maybe they are still set in their ways of 30 years ago. How do you, you know, what would you sort of say to sort of shift the mindset of people perhaps that are sitting on the fence or are apprehensive about, you know, this zero trust approach? Yeah, I would say start slow. And, and I mentioned it earlier, it doesn't need to be this big bang approach where you rip out all the technologies you've had for the past 10 years or, or 20 years and you rip out every VPN and every, and every firewall. Start simple. And one of the places we sometimes recommend people to start is with partners and web-based applications. And so when we talk to Gartner as well, they're suggesting with a targeted area right? Where, where you can see not just a targeted area, but where you can see immediate value in improving your overall security posture of an organization. And with partners accessing your business and web-based applications, it's a great starting point that brings instant benefits. Partners are going to introduce significant risk to the business, not because they're bad partners, but they're outside of the business. And often by having direct access to an entire corporate network is risky. And moreover, partners often use their own devices, many of which they can't or won't allow vendors to put clients deployed right on their endpoint. And seeing that some of a zero trust network architecture, the technologies can be deployed with a browser, meaning you don't need to put something on the partner's end user device. You can start with browser access capabilities. You begin with web-based apps. It makes logical sense. And it removes a lot of risk from the business, from people external to your company. And once you've done that, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you're going to fix those mistakes and, and things are going to start working well for you. Maybe step two, you open it up to your internal employees. And the benefit here is you've now had some experience. You've deployed it for partners. You've deployed it for web-based applications. You can now take all of those learnings and use that in deploying this to your employees and continue to scale and continue to add different capabilities, whether it's data loss protection, right? Or it's CASB or Secure Web Gateway. There's lots of different starting points where you don't have to do everything all at once. And I think that's a, a big takeaway for people that aren't sure where to start or what to do is start small. A great spot often is with third-party access and web-based applications and talk to the partners you're working with. Talk to the Zscalers of the world or Gartners of the world, and we'll take you through an approach that makes sense for your business that does it in baby steps so that we're learning as we go and we're delivering value at the same time. Well, thanks for that, Steve. Thanks for being quite uh, meticulous and very logical with your thinking. Because again, like, you know, zero trust, so many companies are out there doing it. People do feel confused. They feel pulled in different directions. I wanted to understand the impetus to, you know, the alternatives away from VPNs, you know, things that people should start asking when it comes to researching zero trust and, you know, where people can, you know, start that conversation today. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your thoughts, your insights, and and really giving a better insight around what zero trust means for you at Zsal. Thanks for it. Thanks very much. No, it's been a pleasure, Krista. Thanks for the time today and look forward to the next one. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. 
This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.